You're listening to Shade, the podcast where I chat to a wide community of creatives across disciplines, photographers, painters, writers, filmmakers, and even policymakers working within the media and beyond, who have challenged the concepts of race and identity within their work. I'm Lou Menser, writer and photographer, and I've always wondered why people create the work that they do. This week I chat with Jamaican-Irish playwright Linda Brogan. 30 years after it closed, the Manchester nightclub for mixed-race youth in Mossside, the Reno, has been excavated by Linda and her team of volunteers. She shares with me what they've discovered and also what they will be sharing about their lives at the club during their residency at the Whitworth Art Gallery. Lou, it's going to be so amazing, you know, how it's going to grow and just starting now that I've got through all the process of, you know, all the technical stuff you've got to do and all the negotiations with the gallery and that, to feel artistic about it and think, oh, you could do this, you could do that, so wonderful. How's the gallery been, like, throughout this whole process? Well, I'm a playwright. I've been a playwright since 2001 and I've been produced quite a lot across England, including I'm just bragging the Royal Court which I love and um, yeah so no I've had dealings with the arts world but I've never been in an art gallery before and they've never had a playwright before or such a big tribe of people who don't come from that background so it's been a learning curve for both of us over the last six months. I just wanted to know a little bit about your personal memories of the Reno what it was like for you when you used to go there I went down first when I was 17 with two of my best mates, their sisters, yeah? And, yeah. You, you know, obviously, you know, we're mixed race. Or we, I, I tend to say half-cast, even though it's kind of like a terrible thing to say, everybody says to me. Generational thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. I suddenly became not half-cast when I was about 40. So it was yeah. a shock to me. Do you know what I mean? So if you've been saying something for 40 years, and yeah. the wonderful thing, Lou, was it was an honour to be half-cast in the Reno. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It was an absolute... So I don't want to lose that badge. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it was like, you know, like I, I would say in its heyday between 71 and 81, that mm-hmm. 70% of us was, and some of us was, bat, you know, batshit crazy but yeah. we were still part of our gang you know because of that because we had that in common yeah. yeah your memories of it you would go with your mates was it set up by a mixed race person no the or owner it's... was African but he had mixed race kids but I don't think that played into it, it wasn't in no way set up for half cast kids yeah, originally yeah. in the 50s it was um an African seaman's, um, you know, like when they come from a hostel. Yeah, so yeah. The build, so the building was that. And then after that, it was called the Palm Beach, which was opened by the first black pro golfer called mm. Roland West. And mm. he he opened it like a nightclub in the early 60s, you know, like where you go kind of like with um, like a posh one. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like you go and, and there'd be bands in there, white bands and everything, and yeah. couples would go and dance and that. Mm. And then over the time it got taken over by Phil and people used to play reggae in there. And then Persian, our DJ, who is Jamaican and came over in 62, he liked soul and funk. And mm. he knew people who came over on the ships and he'd get imports. So he started playing soul and funk there. 
and then just just half caste people started taking it over. I'm interested in the uh, excavation process. Yeah. How did that happen and what, what came out of that process? The whole story about how it started to happen is really massive. And yeah. it's about being a playwright and not being allowed my own voice. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you're of colour or you're flipping working class, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and the white middle class have got control of all the arts. Yeah. And they have like a certain story you can tell, don't you? If you're Asian, you have a hijab in it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Or if you're, you know, like if you're black, you've been stabbed or a gunshot. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like there's a certain kind of stereotype, yeah. right? So I've kind of been booking against that slowly, you know, for ages, like for 20 years, really, but only saying it in corridors, you mm. know, like, you know, like to the other people that have, are Asian or black or mixed mm-hmm. race or whatever, and then going back into the room and doing what the white middle class person wants me to do. Listen, we only get to a certain age where we start realising that we can actually start to become ourselves and express that, right? Isn't it? I know, it took me till I was 60, Lou. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? No, but it's such a great journey. I was doing this play called Speechless about two um, black twins in a real black twins called June and Jennifer Gibbons, who lived in in 1981. They burnt down their school. They were elect mutes, and they had all sorts of problems. It's a great documentary called The Silent Twins. Mm. So I was writing a play, with um, you know, co-writing this play. With, and I sound really racist every time I say this, but she was upper middle class white, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So um, so we get to into rehearsal. The play's going really well because I've made the decision that they've not crazily just decided to burn down the school. They've done it because that's the time of the riots across the rest of the country and they live in the sticks in Wales. And in my heart, I think that they wanted to be part of what was going on across the yeah. UK. Mm-hmm. So um, so we write this great play between us and we get into rehearsal, right? And long story short, for a week, I've been watching, I think I have been watching her asking the white, this very secondary white characters what they think, but telling the two black bind characters what to think and also making them fight all the time. And I'm thinking, which the twins did, but I'm thinking if they was blonde girls, she'd never make them do that. Yeah. Do you know, just like drag each other around like dogs, yeah. you know, or like animals. So anyway, so I'm having this conversation outside with the black actresses and they're going, yes, I think that's right. But we're doing that whole thing of going back in. So on the Friday, a little mad thing happened where she's saying this should happen, I'm saying that should happen. But also they talk like a politician, don't they? So she's saying, so what I'm hearing you say is this, because that is not what I'm saying. Do you know what I mean? So I went home, wrote an email, Mm -hmm. and I simply said what I was thinking. It was dead short. I said, I think that you are asking the white characters and telling the black characters right so the next day right so but i'm shitting myself and behind me my girlfriend shitting herself so the next day madam gets on the phone right and she's hysterical you know like blanche dubois in streetcar right so it went on all weekend and other members of people from their company got involved who were all from the same class right so on the monday right um 
the, what they decide, and I wouldn't take it back. And that mm -hmm. was what was supposed to happen. And I wasn't even, and they said the really classic racist thing, at least you're not being aggressive. But I was thinking, I'm not going to be aggressive, which also shuts you down, doesn't it? Because you can't, you know, like me and you are being kind of a bit rampant now. You can't yeah. be like that. So long story short, again, Monday morning, right, they've made a decision what's got to happen, right? So what's got to happen is that I've got to wait till Madam's had et. I'm not to talk in rehearsal, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm to wait till Madam's et at lunch and talk to her for 20 minutes. I'm allowed to talk after rehearsal for 20 minutes because she's got to go home to her family, yeah. right? So in me, I lost the plot, right? Mm -hmm. So I wrote, you do realise this place called Speechless, right? And if you're making... The two black act, the two original girls, June and Jennifer Gibbons, speechless if we don't unpack the play. You're making the two black actresses speechless if they don't get to say what they, you know, like unpack the play. And yeah. you're also making, you're literally making me speechless, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So I got off, and that was in an email. Six o'clock, the producer gets on and he says, don't come to rehearsal tomorrow. And if you do, the police will remove you. Yeah. Jesus. I know, I know, I know. And I've got to add it, I've got to add it, blonde, white and middle class, they never had added the last line, would they? You know what I mean? So so now the thing that I've most feared, that they're going to find me out and they're going to, you know, like, do whatever to me has happened. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So I imploded, do you know what I mean? Like, I didn't, I hadn't wrote a play since, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So on that journey of that, so that's like 2010, but mm. I started to really question these things. And that, mm. Do you know what I mean? I'd go to different, I'd go and, you know, like really research slavery, this, that, and the other. Read, and I read, I was reading this authentic slave book, right? Mm. You know, like a thousand pages long with stories from slaves. So it comes across, and I keep calling him Jacob D. Green, and I'm sure someone's going to correct me one day, but mm. he apologises for stealing a horse to escape, right? Mm -hmm. And so a light went on, Lou, and mm -hmm. I thought, I'm dying to swear. A light went on, and I thought, no way, right? So then I realised that no slave narrative that I've just spent however many weeks reading mm -hmm. is true. Mm -hmm. None of them are real because because they've gone with their cap in their hand, right, with mm -hmm. for arms, haven't they? And yeah. they've got to tell the story that mm -hmm. they, the white middle-class missionaries, want to hear. But, Lou, do you know what I realised? That's me in the arts. Yes. Yeah. Like I'm going exactly what you're saying. It's all around me. But then I realised, oh, my God. So yeah. that began the journey. So do you know what I did? I deliberately had psychotherapy to see what was going on. Counselling, I had yeah. psychotherapy. I deliberately did a number on myself. Went and studied loads of artists who were working class and like Grace and Perry and things like that. And mm. how did they do that jump from being making a little jug that nobody gave a damn about mm. to a big jug that everybody wants to take pictures of? So sure. I did all of that for ages and ages. Mm -hmm. And then one day I was going past Serena, which was demolished in 1986, mm -hmm. right? And I sat on the grass. It was covered in poppies, you know, the grass. Oh. And then, you know, remembrance, it was absolutely covered. Mm -hmm. And I sat on the grass and just, and I thought, oh my God, that was trenches and all we lived and poor and mixed race and mum's ostracised. And I thought that story needs telling. I, I can't tell it on my own. 
Yeah. And then I come home and it was to do with the word half cast and I got into bed <coughs> and I thought I'm gonna dig it up and I went down to my crazy mate who lives below me in my flat mm. and I know for certain if I'd have gone and said this to anybody and they'd have gone, Don't be so stupid, it wouldn't have happened. Mm. But I went down to my friend Sarah who's African and I, I told her and she she just loves smoking weed and she just mm. said all the time and she went, Oh, what a great idea. It's mm. about a working class voice, right? Mm. And we will have it exact. So also, first of all, before I did the excavation, mm. to get them in the mood and to get the stories and to get myself grounded, mm. I did Reno memoirs. And I love when people swear. I swear on it myself. Mm. And, and it's, they tell their stories exactly. You see, I'm not like you telling your story to the police or the BBC. Yeah, yeah. I love them. I love them. And then, so that took a year. I got the money off the Arts Council and loads of other people like the Royal Court and the Royal Exchange and that put some money in. Mm. And then we actually excavated the Reno with um, Salford University Applied Archaeology, who were wonderful, who spent months with me planning it and mm. planning how to, you know, use the money, planning how to get the quotes, how to get the JCBs, how to drop the cabins, how to get the loose. They mm. was what and they were great on site and it became the Reno on site. People mm. was coming in the bay shoes who have no eye no dreamt of, you know, like gonna dig anything. But we dug it up, we dug it up by hand and with JCB and we reached the dance floor. We reached the dance floor with about two days to go. And I'm interested in the um, amazing video monologues you've got up on your Instagram page, um, Excavating the Reno. I love those. They're really powerful. Can you tell me uh, um, about the people that are reading those words out on those videos on your Instagram page? Are those people that came together with you who were past visitors of the Reno and then you came together again as part of the excavation they were part of the excavation the white guy triggy right he mm. was there he gave up work for three weeks right mm. and one of the weeks wasn't paid and he was a true regular reno reno regular and he was there every single day with me right so mm. what i did was after the excavation i asked the whitworth we had one night at the whitworth art gallery with our this is about a month after the excavation after that, we did the one night and it was such a, you know, like about 1,500 people who don't normally come to an art gallery came. And it feeds into their thing about they want to change the way galleries are used as well. Mm. So so um, I said, I, I want a residency here. And then their new artistic director who only, I said that in February, he came in in March. We had an hour uh, an hour's meeting and he gave us that wonderful gallery but the 12 people who have done the six months research and development with me who read out those mm. little monologues mm. they are the people who was most loyal the archive photos that you've got up on your instagram and i'm sure that they'll be part of the show as well they yeah they're just wicked you know that thing that those uh, monologues that they read out that's a timeline on our wall it's it's in vinyl on our wall it looks beautiful in the gallery the gallery looks beautiful yeah. and it's the one part of it's like a sitting room and another part's like a workstation we've got an editing suite we've got for photographs we've got editing suite for video there mm -hmm. is a contact thing on our website which is the reno.live just get in touch and talk i'm really because oh. what i'm really interested in is the stories that contextualize 
identifies as, especially people who were born before 1937, who yeah. know about who came on Windrush or who was English and, and watched Windrush happen mm. and people who first began to mix, yes. but also 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s club life, because that shows the different clubs to our club listen you're an absolute powerhouse linda i just can't believe like the huge like the huge realm of the stories that have just come out of our short conversation get on our website because all the memoirs the original memoirs are all on there all my blogs of my journey all our research and development videos and there's loads of great stuff that we touch on unbelievable stuff i'm gonna do it Wait.